1: You're done with your Oreo. Yeah, <laughs> done with my
0: Oreo. Okay, good. Um, we'll do you really, really know what happened? The brother did. The brother, that's what I thought too! <laughs> I mean, that seems like kind of obvious. Hey, do you want to talk about it? death?
1: Yeah. This I mean, I stress. Murdery murdery thingy, murdery, thingy, murdery, murdery. Murdery. Hello. hello, hello. Hello. Welcome
0: to our new mic.
1: Oh, yeah, we got a new mic.
0: So, hopefully, this sounds better.
1: Not going to (laughs) lie, not going to lie, when we played it back, it sounded exactly the same. But I also am not the person to be the judge of that It was also (laughs)
0: still playing through my phone. Right. So, I don't know, I'll see. I mean, I wanted to at least get a mic, you know. But, I mean, we don't need to go into, like, the whole story, but our first attempt at a mic uh ended it very in a very sad manner because it just it stopped working for some reason. I never figured it out why, but anyway, um
1: We're past it.
0: We're, we're it's water under the bridge. We're so I got new one
1: people. Right
0: right right. I got one that just plugs right into the phone. Right. So much, much more convenienter. So
1: All right, let's do this. Yeah,
0: welcome to Mystery Murdery thingy. My yeah.
1: name is Chloe. My name is Mario. Doom 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 keep talking.
0: Dun, 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 oh, I'm just keep talking. Dun, dun, uh, dun, dun, I did dun, that song dun, in doo, Pep Bands. Doo, 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 really? Yeah.
1: I've always wanted to do it in like an a cappella choir.
0: Oh, that would be fun. Yeah. That song
1: and um The Trash in the Camp from Tarzan.
0: Oh yeah. We watched that together, right? Tarzan? Yeah. I think so.
1: I don't know. I've seen it many times.
0: I think I only saw it that one time when I watched it with you. There's like some certain Disney movies I just haven't seen randomly. I don't know why. Anyway. Anywho. Anywho. Moving on. Yes. Uh so <laughs> I'm gonna go first this week.
1: Yes. We so des- Mario's we doing we're both doing
0: part twos. Exactly. Our parts two of the two parters, which we began last week.
1: We've got a kind of some very contrasting Yes. End of the hey, spectrum story.
0: This is mystery murder you think. We get could it be all. doing anything you at get any it time. All week to week.
1: Any mystery.
0: A, anything that's a mystery.
1: What if one day we did mundane mysteries? Like
0: <laughs> mundane Where mysteries. did
1: my red sock go? Right. Who knows? <laughs>
0: <laughs> why are the countries named why are the, the states the shapes they are?
1: <laughs> oh. <laughs>
0: it's not really a mystery, but just because you've never looked it up because it's fucking boring as shit. I just remember her hearing that during like a, uh, it it was like some episode of something on like the History Channel or something. I think that was a History Channel show, like why the shapes are the why the states are the shapes they are. Ugh. That's some nerdy shit. <sighs> nerd alert! Nerd alert!
1: You said your boss said that to you, right?
0: Uh, my supervisor. Yeah, <laughs> in in a you know in in a, a nice way. It's cute. Uh, yeah, it was pretty funny.
1: Okay, so we gotta take it down a little. Okay, a little we bit, gotta yeah. get serious because this is a very important topic.
0: Yes, um, and and I want to handle it the right way. You know, I think in in doing a t- you know I think we we were both a little bit reticent for me to do this topic because it's so big, it's so important. It's something that's like of this of this moment in a way, but also of like every moment of the past like five hundred years in in a sense too. Like it involves all of this history, but it's it's also very current and, and you know, I think it's it's also very, very important, like we were saying. Um and that's also why I wanted to devote two full episodes to it, because the and and of course we're talking about missing and murdered indigenous women and girls. Um
1: f- Yes, if you haven't listened to the previous episode, go back.
0: Exactly, yeah, listen to that. Get a In the first episode, in part one, you'll get a sense of who the women are, how many, why we don't really know. Um, You know, I talk about a a few of the cases and, you know, just the the topic in in general in terms of the um, people involved. And in episode two, we're going to really dive into why these mysteries exist um, some of it, because the, the, honestly, this could be a whole set of episodes in and of itself of why. Yeah,
1: we said it could, uh, you, wait, you did, t- you tweeted about a podcast Yes, that was just all about,
0: um... Just about missing and murdered indigenous women and girls. And I, I think it's actually not the only one. There, I came across another one, I think, and, um, the one I found initially, it's from like 2017. I'll, I'll keep tweeting out stuff about this, because there's, there are more reports it's it's just there's it's so that's much always out there. Evolving exactly. This, these cases. And it's something that finally authorities and people are just, and the media are like starting to pick up on and, and not as focus much as on, as they
1: should, but
0: not nearly as much as they should, but but more than nothing, which is yes. what's been happening for a really long time. So yeah, we're we're just gonna really dig into this whole question of of why 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 does why is, has this been happening for so long. Uh, to so many people, um, you know, the, essentially the question of how could a set of so many and and so tr- tragic of crimes have gone unnoticed for so long by so many in our society. It's that that in and of itself is a mystery. You would think that when this many crimes of this magnitude occur, there would be a sense of crisis in the country. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, when when it when it's this prevalent among a certain set of victims, but that's not the case. That has not absolutely not been the case for so long, and and even now, even a, with renewed or 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 the first kind of interest in this as a topic among so many people, it it still is um is very very limited, um, and this question of why is really a mystery in and of itself within this this wider universe of mysteries. Um, but the, 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 this question of why and the factors that lead us to sort of come to an answer of why mm-hmm. are also themselves a powerful engine of mysteries. It's, it's sort of a self-fulfilling cycle of creating these mysteries. Cause again, these are largely man-made mysteries. These are largely official mysteries and we'll, we'll, yes. we'll dig into that, yes. um, really in detail here. Um, so it, it really comes down to the erasure of trauma and victimization that this particular set of victims, missing and murdered indigenous women and girls, um, you know, there, there are a lot of, of sources and, and consequences to these um, crimes. And and we're not going to get into every single thing having to do with this. It's it's just too much. So I'm going to kind of try to organize it around three main categories, um, which are kind of a little bit squishy, right? A little bit ill-defined, um, official sources, cultural factors, and awareness. Okay. And I'll define each of those kind of as we go here because I'm using each of those in kind of a specific way. So the first and the most central in my mind um, set of factors leading to these mysteries are, of course, official sources. This category includes things like lim- the limitations of official record keeping. And if you listen to part one, you'll recall that I said... That even in the era of digitization, there are still some profound limitations to,
1: yes.
0: um, the way in which data is, is recorded and and there's lots uh, of
1: information that should be there that isn't.
0: Exactly, like the UIHI report, um, you know, investigators and so many others, who've delved into the this kind of university of mysteries. Researchers have learned that the the data net to uh, to truly know that that should be there to truly know you know, basic facts about who these women are, how many there are, it's simply not there. The people who should have collected it, whose responsibility it was to do that, did not do it. Or they did it poorly so that data is mischaracterized. And it's extremely hard to pick through that, you know, in, in these huge sets of data, in these like huge, you know, national databases where you know that they just didn't account for these people like literally they didn't account right, for them right right
1: it's a national problem
0: yes it's it's a local problem a regional problem and a national problem there's there are failures on every level when it comes to these victims um and even you know for example in the districts that collect crime statistics on missing and murdered women which is not every single district and the and the the um the reporting of those data is also not mandatory um for for the most part, although I mean there are some specific rules like in the Violence Against Women Act that got reauthorized in twenty thirteen and just recently, but there there are holes, you know, to the in these data. And and part of the reason why is because it these systems are not consistent or compatible in the way in which they encode Native American identity. There's basically no way in which to enter in Native American or indigenous or a particular tribal identity. Mm-hmm. It literally does not exist in the program that they use.
1: So somebody's like, somebody could have like a name in there, but you wouldn't know if they were indigenous?
0: Not Is necessarily. Is problem? E- exactly, because some people have an indigenous sounding name and other indigenous don't have an indigenous sounding name. Yeah. So like, it's not a, and you know, furthermore, it, it's not only that, but there, there's like these marks of like this pernicious racism amongst the people that obviously created these programs. Like, for example, the the marking of N next to a name didn't mean Native American. Up until at least the 1980s, it simply referred to, quote, Negroes, unquote. That's literally what the, like, official documentation was. Um, so, but yeah. People thought like, that that may, might have meant Native American or Indigenous.
1: Oh, but it...
0: But it did not. So that sort of th- through investigators, so it's these kind of things that put roadblocks, <laughs> these are, and disheartening roadblocks. Is like, oh, oh, that's what it is. Oh my god, you know, amongst all these official records, up until you know, basically thirty years ago, within my lifetime,
1: it's messed up.
0: Yeah, um, and the UIHI investigators were also given data that clearly included people who were Indian, like. In the sense that their ancestry was from the South Asian nation,
1: mm-hmm. not
0: Native American.
1: Oh. Right?
0: Y- That's sensed
1: from our own American stupidity. This whole misunderstanding
0: else. by Christopher Columbus and other explorers that they had somehow reached the other side of the world and were in the so-called West Indies this whole that whole cultural misunderstanding has propagated all the way up until now yeah. and moving forward. Yeah. Which is why I never use Indian to refer to a Native American person yeah. even though in official documentation sometimes and even amongst Native Americans it's used. Because it it's propagated but it's it's just this it's a this um uh, it it's a really good reminder that a cultural misunderstanding has real life consequences. Yes. It's not just a stupid misunderstanding. It's not just a, an accident of history it actually affects real people's lives in real ways. And like, this is an example of that. Yeah. So furthermore, even when the authorities were confronted with these inconsistencies in the data, right, the government officials simply gave them a a very similar list and gave them this sort of implausible explanation that, oh, those people that you're talking about that you're saying are Indian, right, from India... Some of whom had names like Singh and like clearly South Asian Indian names. Mm -hmm. That oh, they must presumably have been biracially Native American, and that's why they're in there. That's what the authorities. They just like they tried to sort of that out there, yeah, with with no no evidence or anything. So. Yeah, it's it's, it's not. There, there are some of these specific examples that paint the authorities in very, very poor light. Well, in terms of the. It's got to stem from somewhere, right? Exactly. It, people not doing their jobs, right, at some level. So these kind of errors and gaps in the data, you know, and in data collection are really emblematic of a of general attitude toward the trauma and the well being of these indigenous peoples their experience is erased, subsumed within the official collections. Another example is that in a lot of systems, if there was no um, indication of racial identity, it defaulted to white. So the person could have been of any Mm. ethnic background, whatever, but if they didn't know for sure, it just defaulted to white. So it's literally the erasure and subsumation of their cultural identity.
1: If only race wasn't like... (laughs) <laughs> Such an option.
0: I know, right?
1: On I, I, like, Ra- I, race is very identifying people.
0: Yeah. True, and it's like in some sense you think, well, they just shouldn't track it because you know, let's it just doesn't even matter, right? It's it's just silly concept in and of itself. But the issue with that is the the violence that and and the the um, the disparate treatment that those people. Mm. Or suffer from can't right. then be right. tracked properly and known about and therefore properly dealt with because you're not tracking yeah. it. So it, it's sort there of a there would be a lack sword. of
1: awareness.
0: Exactly. So there there is that that sort of John Robertsian argument of oh you know if you don't want to discriminate against race then just don't talk about race. But it, it kind of doesn't work that way. It's a it's a, a little bit naive in terms of how the world actually works. So yeah, I I think also it's it's important just to understand that the These issues it it doesn't it didn't have to be this way, yeah, right. It, it,
1: and that's why I mean, both of us were saying this. That's why it's so f- it's frustrating,
0: extremely frustrating.
1: It's like all so preventable,
0: yes, yeah, very preventable. um because we and we know this because data about quote unquote, white Americans is properly collected much more often. And their cases do get much more consistently investigated and justice in many more cases is served. Like, you can see that this parallel disparity exists where data collection and the outcomes both are disparate, and it's not a coincidence that that's the case, right? (laughs) Clearly there is some kind of connection here. And, and, And even when Indigenous women and girls' crimes are captured in official data, those data never to my understanding, include tribal identities. So tribal nations are not ever informed that their citizens are involved in these violent crimes, which is something that we regularly Why? do as a courtesy for foreign nations. You know, if, if a person from the UK were to come here and get murdered, as a matter of course, we would notify that other nation. We don't do that with tribal nations. Why? It doesn't make any sense. So so these um, issues kind of, uh, you know, the, they lead us into another, um, yeah, that, that's what I was just about to get to, actually. So in, into these issues of jurisdiction and sovereignty. This is another category of the official sources of of these mysteries. So the issue of which law enforcement agency has jurisdiction and what the implications of tribal sovereignty are is a large, complicating factor in creating these mysteries amongst the the missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls. So yes, let, let's let's unpack this term a little bit of tribal sovereignty, right? Yeah. So you you may have heard this term before, tribal sovereignty. What does that mean? So whether and to what extent a particular tribal nation is sovereign has changed since since our founding, sort of continuously, and it's 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 fairly complex. Um, before the American Revolution, the rebels that would, of course, eventually become our founding fathers, fought with and against various tribal groups. So okay. it's, it's it's just so you understand. In and of
1: itself, it's complex. It, exactly,
0: <laughs> it started out in a very complex way. Some um, of the tribal uh, nations and uh, et cetera, were allied with various of the nations, including with the the rebel Americans. Um, when our country officially actually began, these indigenous peoples still had held sway over much of what would later become the United States, and and they were recognized as sovereign nations, um, to, to some extent, some of them were, and eventually, um, though, all of their land was essentially either surrounded by or subsumed into the United States of America, right, and, of course, as we all know, the history between Native Americans and the the men, you know, the European nations and then you know, the United States. It's, it's pretty peaceful. It's, um, it's pretty horrific. It's yeah. So. yeah it's, oh. Yeah. It's Yeah. It's actually It's exactly pretty, what you see on, uh, you know, movies about yeah. the Thanksgiving. Do- no, it's not that at all. It's genocide. It's
1: absolutely terrible. Forced
0: marches, internment camps, forced labor every horrible horrific crime against humanity you can possibly imagine you know any of those groups including the United States um definitely inflicted upon native americans um and of course you know the the Canadian government is is uh should be held to account for its own atrocities as well so yes let's just understand the context in which we're working here right and and also just to clarify and and, and to understand that the issue of missing and murdered women and and girls uh, in indigenous women and girls extends as far back as the first contact between the the wider world and Native Americans like they, this set of victims has been victimized fairly continuously or, or essentially continuously for the past five hundred plus years so just just to understand this has a long, long tail.
1: you kind of think of it as like indigenous peoples as a whole. But when you look at women and children, the numbers go straight up.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's, they're, they're way, way overrepresented in, in, in the sample. And um, a lot of this stems from, uh, you know, a, um, a set of factors that eventually lead back to, you know, the trauma of colonialization. Um, that's, you know, clearly where a lot of this is coming from. Um, including the factors that we're talking about, you know, to, today in a more modern uh, context. So, um, yeah, le- legally, constitutionally, some of these indigenous governments were and currently are recognized as sovereign nations. But again, it's it's complicated. Like, it would take so long to explain the ins and outs of, you know, the the different eras of how that worked and different Supreme Court decisions and legal opinions, it, it just, it goes on and on and on. Um, but just to know that they are technically, some of them considered sovereign nations within the United States, right? Their sovereignty allows them to do things like, for example, have gambling operations on their lands. Mm. That's why they're allowed to do that, because they get to decide what are the laws within their country. Um, but more pertinently for our discussion today, it also profoundly... Their, their sovereignty profoundly problematizes the question of justice for those people on tribal lands who are victims and those people with tribal affiliations who are victims or perpetrators, you know, wherever they are, you know, just like, like the UH, UIHI report, you know, put there, it's over 70% of indigenous um, Americans live in cities. Um, so what, you know, what's, what's uh, the course of action for them? Yeah, I wanted to read kind of a, a quote here from the AP story about this. Tribal police and investigators form the Federal Bureau of Indian Affairs, but the FBI investigates certain offenses, and if there's ample evidence, the U.S. Department of Justice prosecutes major felonies, such as murder, kidnapping, and rape if they happen on tribal lands. So who is in charge? Is It kind of depends on what kind of offense we're talking about. Right?
1: So does that... <laughs>
0: Yeah, so it's it's complicated, <laughs> and what yeah. to do, you know, in any of those instances, is very complicated. It's it's a sort of Kafka. It's just a subjective you know, type of
1: judgment.
0: Yeah, and if you're the victim, you know, in addition to dealing with your the trauma, you also have to deal with this this whole system of of have of trying to get justice from these different interlocking um, authorities. Um, so l- let me read another kind of a extended quote from that AP story that kind of I- illustrates this point. Um, former North Dakota federal prosecutor Tim Purdon calls it a, quote, jurisdictional thicket, close quote, of overlapping authority.
1: A lot of red tape.
0: Yeah. And different laws, depending on the crime, where it occurred, on a reservation mm-hmm. or not, wow. and whether a tribal member is victim or perpetrator. Missing person cases on reservations can be especially tricky. Some people run away, but if a crime is suspected, it's difficult to know how to help. Where do I go to file a missing persons report, Pertin Mm. asks. Do I go to the tribal police? In some places, they're underfunded and undertrained. Mm. The Bureau of Indian Affairs, the FBI, they might want to help, but a missing person case without more is not a crime, so they may not be able to open an investigation. Do I go to one of the county sheriffs? If that sounds like a horribly complicated mishmash of law enforcement jurisdictions, that would tremendously complicate how I would try to find help. It's because that's what it is. And close quote.
1: That makes people not want to seek help. It yes. it reminds me the pro- of the problem of uh women not reporting or anybody, anybody not reporting sexual assault and how Mm -hmm. it's just very underreported. It's because it's right. The process itself is also complicated, Mm -hmm. not to mention the type of judgment and the type of anxiety and the type of trauma that goes along with that, that process.
0: And that's definitely a part of what I read in respect to the, um, attempts to get some kind of like compensation or, or, you know, there's a, sort of Truth and Reconciliation Commission going on in Canada, but people describe the process through which they're trying to get some form of restitution as just more trauma, essentially,
1: Yeah. without
0: any clear path to real justice or real sense of, you know, some kind of restitution or closure. So it's it's very, very hard. Yeah. So these kind of structural issues are definitely a key factor in understanding the official sources of these mysteries. But they um, also interact and intersect strongly with the next category, okay? Cultural factors, so-called, right? And by cultural factors, of course, I mainly mean racism, because that's the, the main cultural factor that leads to these kind of mysteries in, in that respect. Most critically, this, um, this and this is kind of where it intersects with the official sources, includes the racism of certain members of law enforcement, Right? who, yep. whether consciously or not, have kind of bought into this long discredited notion of some kind of racial hierarchy, right? So-called white supremacy, um, which, as we were kind of mentioning earlier, if you want to talk about bad science, you know, pseudoscience, there's a lot of that around racism. There's, It's just, like, so, so much, historically, all the way through pseudoscience? to today. Yeah, pseudoscience, like... You know the 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 science, so called, behind like Joseph Mengele's experiments and what do you call it? Uh, like um, um, where where they would like breed, basically breed people for certain traits.
1: Human trafficking. Oh oh oh. Um, eugenics. Eugenics. Yeah, eugenics. yeah.
0: The things like that. Like you know, it it just breeds these kind of like again pseudosciences. Like they're not based on real scientific thinking or anything of the of the kind. Um, okay, so um, to to kind of get back on track a little bit here, so let's make this a little bit more concrete and, and specific in terms of how this racist attitude impedes proper investigations and helps to, again, create these mysteries. Again, we're trying to answer this question of why do these mysteries exist. Law enforcement, especially in historically underserved communities like Native American communities, indigenous communities, has to make tough choices all the time, as we mentioned earlier. That some of these indigenous police forces are severely underfunded. Yes. So not all crimes can be prosecuted or investigated. Choices have to be made by prosecutors by investigators. In that and that's a whole
1: other problem. Like in and of itself. Oh yeah,
0: that's a whole separate issue that yeah. exists totally apart from this. But it's it's just a reality almost always. So in that environment, though, a factor like being part of a disfavored group, like a indigenous woman or girl, can be critical. And again, just for clarity, I'm saying disfavored by the, the system, not disfavored by any particular person per se. Okay. Especially in reference to cases of, you know, murdered or missing uh, persons because the first few hours and days are so critical. Yeah. And these kind of factors, the, the indifference that that kind of racist attitude breeds, disallows proper investigations from occurring in those critical hours. And and that makes essentially the difference in a lot of cases. But racism doesn't only stem from, you know, implicit bias, structural racism, you know, things like that, sins of omission, essentially. Authorities also regularly take proactive actions that undermine proper investigations and in the pursuit of justice for these victims, the, these women and girls authorities will for example regularly demean or diminish the seriousness of potential crimes as some you know form of, kind of brush excuse it or off. something yeah, exactly they'll they'll say things like you know these women and girls most probably aren't missing you know they weren't murdered but they've simply quote run away or gone drinking or taken up with some guy you know there there's Sort of an intersection of misogyny and racism that creates an environment that is so toxic to the proper administration of justice that, and and devoid of any humanity you know or care for these victims that it, it's just this total antithesis of what a proper investigator should um, you know should should what their attitude should be, what their mindset should be. and And again, that's that's why this happens. That's why mysteries persist that attitude creates an environment in which proper investigations not done and therefore we don't get the facts and therefore justice is not served like it's a direct line from these racist attitudes that some people dismiss as like oh they're just what's in their heart you know they just say racist things that doesn't
1: make well any saying sense.
0: and doing racist things have real consequences for real people you know so it's it's not just words it's not just an attitude it's you know, not doing your job correctly in some cases. So anyway, and, and again, I think at this point, since we've been kind of bashing on the police a lot, we should probably say again, just for clarity, this does not mean everyone.
1: Well, I mean, there, obviously. There are,
0: well, sure, but there, there, I think it, it's just, it's important to, to, again, give proper context. This is not true of all investigators. There are some people who have done heroic, valiant work for these women and girls among the investigatory community. Um, but their valiant efforts have not been able to change the structural issues. It's, it's bigger than any single investigator or set of investigators. It's about the wider law enforcement community. And, you know, it, it, there has to be a large scale change, a, a sea change, a cultural change in terms of how these are um, uh, cases are approached, and 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 there are legal efforts that are underway nationally. We talked about that a little bit in the last episode, in, in reference to Savannah's Act, um, being you know um, championed by mainly Heidi Heitkamp, but other senators as well, and including um, Lisa Murkowski, I believe, and and of course in some states as well, um, you know, to do things like improving data collection and improving, you know, the um, the kind of structural issues that we're talking about today. But, of course, we need to be clear-eyed when we're talking about that as well, right? Like um, Anita Lucchese, a, a researcher, I believe she was involved in the UIHI report, is, she's sort of skeptical of these legal efforts. Um, she said, quote, I don't think you can fix problems that have been created by poor legislation with more legislation rooted in the same way of knowing and in the same culture.
1: So then how do you fix it? Do you fix it?
0: It's it's a difficult it's a difficult issue, but
1: I guess that's the question, right?
0: Right, right, exactly. Um, and you know, that that point of view, that sort of maybe a bit cynical point of view, is I think though, sort of eminently understandable, right? Even when investigations have been attempted, even when laws have been passed, they usually haven't made really any headway with the particular cases themselves that they they try to reinvestigate. Or in bringing real awareness to the issue.
1: I think at the core of it, and it's, like, rough to really say this and, like, realize it, but people don't care. Like, it's terrible. It's absolutely terrible. And, like... It happens that way for for a reason.
0: Exactly. I mean, I I think I have almost that same sentence like at, toward the end of my write up. No, it's it's true. Like, you really if you look into this enough, you just really get that that sense that like people don't care. Like the, this this erasure, you know, dismissal, diminished, diminishment of this issue. Um, it it really it ex it extends to to everyone essentially. Like, yeah. Yes, it, it, it extends far beyond just legal authorities. Um, this universe of mysteries exists in some part by mutual consensus of our culture. That's that's kind of the conclusion that I came to. When the missing and the dead are counted, in official records, and in the vast amount of media, indigenous women and girls are essentially largely ignored misrep- or misrepresented if they are there at all. And how often, you know, I think just ask yourself a few questions, right? How often are cases of missing and murdered indigenous women and girls discussed on the nightly news or cable TV or true crime podcasts or procedural dramas? How many times have you seen it? I mean, think about it. Really, think about it. I can't think of a single one.
1: There was one Criminal Minds episode kind of alluding to it.
0: And I watched a shit ton of Law and & Order.
1: And Criminal Minds is his hundreds of episodes.
0: Yes. So ju- just think about that, and then think about the statistics that we've spoken about, and I'll give a little bit more toward the end just to hammer the point home, right? But it's weird. <laughs> like, <laughs> if you really think about it, why? Why is that? Because it doesn't make any sense. How many of these cases, as a partly a consequence of that, can you name off the top of your head? I mean, now I can name a few because I've been... Looking into this over the past couple of weeks, right? But not even that many. And I would challenge any just person on the street to name a single one.
1: Nobody they would. They clearly be able to. could not. You'd have to. You would have to coincidentally catch some kind of um, expert like, right. journalist who happens to be working on this right now, <laughs> or yeah. something like that.
0: It, it it. Essentially, this issue has no salience in the wider culture, and there's a reason for that. It's not an accident. It's exactly what you said a minute ago, because not enough people care enough. Not enough people care enough. Um, cultural representation is a way of society essentially saying these people matter. They're part of our collective story. And that makes a real difference. Um, for example, I'm, I'm going to read a quote here by Carolyn DeFord. She's the daughter of a missing um, indigenous woman named Leona LeClaire Kinsey, um, but her, her mom went missing many, many years ago, but Carolyn eloquently summed up the issue um, this way. There's a little bit of justice in the acknowledgement that there's an injustice. It's a slow right. boat to turn around because it's a 500-year-old problem. Yeah. And when I read yeah, that, it's, it's that, what reminded me it to talk perfectly. about that. Exactly, it's a 500-year-old problem. It's not only something that's been happening since 2010, even though that's when we know about most of the cases. It's not only something that's been happening since the 19th century, just because if you think of, you know, in, uh, you know, so-called cowboys and Indians from then. Yeah. It's not just from the revolutionary war. It it actually extends further back than that Yeah. to, to pre America. So this is an, an incredibly large issue universe of mysteries again, that we're talking about here. So these, you know, um, cultural issues these are these official sources they they are sort of tied up in um and and are fed by you know the incompetence the malevolence the the cultural erasure the underrepresentation present within the law enforcement community the media the the wider cultural in in the United States and and Canada um but all of this really boils down to something more personal awareness awareness as i'm using it Implicates all of us. It's the salience of these victims and their communities in your life, in my life, in all right. of our lives. Right.
1: We've said this, yes.
0: Exactly. Um. This is re- reiteration, right? But this is, um, you know, if 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 I can, a a kind of um Im- implication of of each of each of us, right, to do better with this, um, because unlike the first two factors, you know, official sources. Uh, cultural factors we can't really do too much about that as individuals but this we can do something about when you're right. learning about true crimes seek out these victims if you have a platform speak about these victims if you're an investigator try harder to investigate these
1: crimes right i feel like awareness is the place to start because yes. here like here we are the two of us just like random people in the middle of you know the country right what can we do and that's yeah. Th-
0: this is the, yeah. It's exactly this is the this is what this is what we can do. So this is what we are doing. Um, so yeah, let let's not forget that you know that there's a reason why we focus on these victims as well. Um, I'm gonna just gonna give a little bit more statistics here from a um, Intercept article that I read. So um, according to the results of the 2010 National Intimate Partner and in Sexual Violence Survey. 84% of Indigenous women interviewed had experienced violence in their life. 56, well, wait,
1: wait, say that again.
0: 84% of Indigenous women interviewed had experienced violence in their life. Wow. Yeah. 56% had experienced sexual violence. According to data collected between 1992 and 2001, American Indians were twice as likely as any other racial group to be raped or sexually assaulted.
1: And those are just the people that spoke up.
0: Right, right. As with all of these statistics and numbers, they are almost certainly under-representations themselves uh, for all of the reasons that we've spoken about, right? A study of American Indian causes of death between 1999 and 2009 found indigenous women had a homicide rate three times that of white women. And an analysis Why? of data... <laughs> exactly. Um, and I and, mean, I
1: know we've talked about like not reporting it, and and this, that, and the other thing, but <laughs> uh, the, well,
0: the main, I guess,
1: why is reason, that crime there in the first place?
0: Right, right. It's they're bound together. Well, that's the best explanation that I read at least, because when when crimes are known to be under um, prosecuted, then those victims are more vulnerable, and therefore victimizers oh. and predators will seek out those victims.
1: I understand. So there
0: it's it's a it's a self-fulfilling cycle here in a in a way, right? Um and this is you know really graphically demonstrated by a, a case like Robert Picton.
1: Ew. You know
0: among whose victims indigenous women are grossly overrepresented yeah. as as with the Highway of Tears, right? And and so many other victim data sets that include these women and girls. Um, but it's, you know, very explicit with Robert Picton. I mean, we, we know now that that's what was going on for sure. And, you know, the authorities, and of course his case were particularly pernicious. So if you want a real good example of how everything can go wrong in a, things like this, having to do with missing and murdered indigenous women and girls, look yeah. into the Robert Picton case. Look at that case. It's. I'm, I, I didn't talk about it just because it's too much to get into.
1: Yeah. I, mean, I didn't even think I was yeah. going to mention
0: it, but just because it's such a good example, like, look into it. So all of this comes down to we all need to do more work for these victims because, you know, while official sources and cultural factors create these mysteries and hamper us in terms of our understanding and awareness, it is our responsibility to increase our measure of empathy, right, as we're always trying to do here. And understanding for these victims, these women and girls, uh, through our personal awareness that we do have, you know, some control over. Um, and a, another another quote I wanted to read, a March leader um, for the May 5th, 2018 National Day of Awareness uh, for Missing and Murdered Native uh, American Women and Girls, Roxanne White, um, kind of summed things up this way. We're the only ones that are going to speak for them. It's not going to be the president or the governor. We have to be the ones to come out and demand justice, demand the police when somebody goes missing to do their damn job, hold them accountable. That's the only way it's going to happen. And we know this works. Like with the podcast, Who Killed Alberta Williams? Those investigators did more work. They looked more into it specifically because it got more awareness. That needs to be replicated. That kind of thing needs to become a phenomenon. Um, and I think it is. I think it's starting. It I, I, think it's starting. I, I hope it is. We want to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. Again, that's why we're doing this. We're using our tiny, minuscule, little corner of the Internet to say, you know, we need to incre- increase awareness on this on a personal level um, so that that cultural awareness will evolve and that will trickle up to authorities. That's how it has to happen the only way it will happen, I believe. Uh, And then those authorities hopefully will be forced to do their damn job and seek justice for these victims, these women and girls who, it should go without saying, deserve justice and truth as much as anyone else, but they are not getting it. So we need to talk about them and how they're not getting it and make that a problem for the people for whom that needs to be a problem. (laughs) Um... And and I have no illusions that I, you know, am doing anything by saying that per se, but again, hopefully this can be just part of a number of people pushing this issue to the forefront. And among those people um, are some of,
1: yeah, of course, are your sources? my sources,
0: more, my more, more of my sources, um, Aileen Brown at The Intercept, Melissa Hellman at Seattle Weekly, Patrick Riley at the Missoulian, uh, Missoula Montana. Chelsea Dennis at nonprofit quarterly and Ruth Hopkins at teen Vogue and I think I think there were some others but those were the ones that I uh that I could find again after I read them so yeah that was those that was, uh you know I I have a tough couple episodes I know and thank you for ha- had taken that little journey with us uh, again it's an important topic so um yeah let's let's all continue to uh keep up some awareness of that day to day that's it,
1: uh, and,
0: and and next week we're gonna be lighter. Specifically, we're gonna do stuff that's are we? More, yes,
1: are we though?
0: Lighter. It won't be so heavy next week. Okay, now you, now you go.
1: Okay, um, I don't know how I'm supposed to follow that, but all right, <laughs> here we go.
0: With a plum. A what? A plum.
1: That doesn't make any sense.
0: <laughs> with with grace and civility. Oh. A-P-L-O-M-B. it's a I, I French don't. cognate.
1: I don't know. It's I one of those not. words that we
0: took from a different language and just said, hey, that's ours now.
1: Like deja vu
0: like uh, so many words.
1: like what else? <laughs> They're mostly French, I feel like
0: uh, lo- yes, yes, that is true. the the vast majority of English words do come from either French or German, but more of them come from French um, through Tortilla? which of course we get all of our Latin influence. Um, but, you know, they say that multisyllabic words are more Latin French influenced, whereas monosyllabic words are more Germanic. So that's what I've always heard.
1: Oh, that's what I've always heard.
0: (laughs) When I've been bantering bantering about etymology. Just in my
1: own etymological, etymological, is that a word?
0: Etymological.
1: Etymological studies in my... Of
0: course, of course. Because
1: I'm a scholar. (laughs) And a gentleman. God damn it. (laughs) God damn it. Okay. God damn it. Um, let's talk about sleep. Let's talk about
0: sex, baby. No. Let's talk about you Let's
1: talk about sleep. Okay, let's do. Um, Mario, how much sleep do you get a night? Not enough. Typically. It's it's really bad for you. I know. It's so bad for you. I,
0: I feel like I hear or see stories all the time about how, like, we're finding out more about how sleep is important. You need to get enough sleep, or you're gonna go fucking crazy when you're old
1: it's t- it's absolutely terrible yeah. i so my main source was from a ted talk um by a nam- a man named Russell Foster. uh-huh why do we sleep um, and he just emphasized a lot how sleep is extremely important um and we sleep for a third of our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, about if you okay. if you live to the age of ninety, you'll have spent thirty two years of your life completely asleep.
0: If you actually get the like eight hours a night you're supposed to on a right. regular basis, yeah. right? But and uh, do we do we know why we sleep? I mean, that's is that or is that still basically a mystery? Like, in terms of like why yeah. it's so important.
1: That's still basically a mystery. Like okay. there isn't one consensus. Like mm-hmm. we don't really have one type of idea. But obviously there's. There's lots of theories out there. Right. So our main man Russell Foster in his TED Talk, he highlight he actually talks about how we perceive sleep and I think this is very important when it comes to to figuring out why it's so Im- important and stuff like that. So we don't actually think about sleep much, all right? We see it as something that needs to be cured almost like like it's some type of illness. Like we're always um you know, staying up late to do that, staying up late to do that. Right. Uh, drinking ca- caffeine. Drinking caffeine. You know, awake. The like more, I was
0: just doing. The
1: more awake we are, like the the better, the more work we will get done, and the better, more motivated that we are. And this, then the other thing, it's not true. It's terrible. We tolerate the need for sleep, but why? It doesn't make any sense. Especially, like you said, that's how we're le- we're learning so much more about sleep now, and how. Good it is for you, and how um essential it is for your mental and emotional state. Just it, just in general. Mm-hmm. Um, it's possible that we people look at it as just um, a s- state of relaxation. I, I mean, it is, it, but we look at it as though like th- we don't even do that much in our sleep. So why should we make it a priority? But that's not true. There's a whole lot of things happening when you sleep and some areas of your brain are actually more active than others. So sleep stems from a plethora of of um, interactions within the brain. And so it's like, it's essentially turned on and off as a result of all of these um, interactions. So and like I'll talk about later, l- lucid dreaming is mm-hmm. like, um, there's a part of your brain that's active that usually isn't active during sleep. Mm. Um, so like, like dreams, there isn't one agreed upon, uh, you know, theory as to why we actually sleep. Um, the, here's, here's one, one I'm going to talk about the restoration idea. And this parallels to, um, the idea that, that of, of why we dream is that, uh, uh, for, like, evolution and, like, we're kind of testing ourselves and putting ourselves in this situation. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the same thing with the restoration idea, that everything that we've built up during the day is restored and replaced while we sleep. And studies, there are studies to support this. It shows that there are genes within the brain that are only turned on during sleep hmm. and that those genes are associated with restoration and metabolic pathways. Because I've fam, always fam, heard
0: fam. that you're hair grows more quickly when you sleep and things like that and that you heal faster when you sleep as well, you know. And uh is that is that true? Like has that been kinda of borne out by studies? Um, Did you read that?
1: I'm not sure. It makes sense. Right. Um that's why you always sleep when you're sick.
0: Right. Your body is telling you naturally, like you need to sleep. It it has this kind of restorative property to it, right? Right. Which to me makes a lot of sense because you you are expelling less energy toward, you know, everything else. So your body can turn inwards and use that energy for its, um, you know, the lymphatic system or whatever.
1: Another possible reason is, um, it's good for, for processing and memory consolidation. Mm-hmm. Um, and you tell me this all the time that like, <laughs> yeah, if I'm trying to memorize a monologue or something, you're like, okay. Like always, say it a couple times before bed, and then like get a really good night's rest.
0: That's what I've heard. That's it's I've true. Heard. It's true. Yeah. So it, in some sense, it may help to sort and then cement the, you know, certain memories that the brain recognizes as being most important. Yes. Yeah.
1: So let's talk about cramming for a test. Mm-hmm. It's it's finals week. You have a test the next day that you haven't studied at all. Oh, I like, never did that. You're like, bam. <laughs> All-nighter. We're right. going to push through it. We're going to do it. We're going to ace this test. Bad idea. Bad, bad idea. If you try to learn a task and then you're deprived of sleep, the learning you did before is totally useless. Mm. You're going to forget it. It's going to be locked in your short-term memory and it's going to go away. You're going to panic. You're going to mix things up or get something wrong. You're not going to remember. It's a bad idea. Mm-hmm. Um Sleep also gives us an advantage when it comes to solving complex problems. And again, it parallels to the dream theory as Mm -hmm. well, solving problems. And it also enhances our creativity in in general.
0: Because I've heard of different instances, like I think there was one like with Tesla, where a person will get like a spontaneous solution to a complex problem in a dream.
1: Yeah, yeah. They'll
0: like envision it in their dream. And then they'll awake with that, still still having that understanding.
1: Yeah, it happens It happens a lot.
0: That's interesting.
1: Um, so sleep deprivation is a huge problem in America. And, uh, I mean, all over the world. Also
0: a torture technique.
1: A torture technique? That's mm-hmm. reassuring.
0: Yeah, but, I mean, clearly it, that it has known permissive effects. You start to, like, to ha- hallucinate it. and shit. Yeah, true, yeah, true.
1: Um... So 100,000 car accidents a year are attributed to lack of sleep. Wow. Yeah. Um, those who work night shifts, their body clock is off all the time and confused because, um, and I am sure, i don't know if you've heard this before, if anybody else has heard this before, but um, your body clock kind of naturally goes with the light. Mm-hmm. And so if Circadian it's light. Circadian rhythm, yeah. Right. Um, if it's bright outside, um, your body's saying, oh, this is the time to be awake and that's why it's bad to stare at your phone before bed or like stand in like a bright ass bathroom and brush your teeth (laughs) and go straight to the dark plunges of your bedroom Mm -hmm. that's what i do every night
0: (laughs) you do about those bad for you (laughs) um
1: but yeah it's not it's not great it causes poor judgment it causes bad memory um you're more impulsive you're uh likely to to make a uh, snap decisions. You know what?
0: What else you are that's really bad is um, uh, sleepy. Yeah. When you don't uh,
1: sleep. Uh, great observation by Mario oh, Silva. The
0: other thing you get, yawny. Uh,
1: yawny? Is that a new adjective uh, that we have added to the dictionary mm. that consists of you?
0: Yeah. Um ya- yawn is a word because I said it's a word, and that's how etymology works. Remember okay. We, we talked earlier about how I'm an etymol- etymological expert, I guess.
1: <laughs> okay. Yes, and I'm I'm down. I'm. I down don't know it. if
0: it is a word or not a word actually, <laughs> but I use it as a word. So.
1: I'm yawny. Well, yeah. there's just better words to use, like drowsy.
0: Yeah, but I think yawny is funny, so I use it because I'm oh. all about I'm all about the bad humor.
1: Well, you should. I'm like
0: a walking laffy taffy. You
1: should probably, like, switch that perspective because yawny. Yeah. I should turn it up to
0: 11, you're saying? I should do it a lot more. On
1: the funny scale.
0: I'm going to keep using it. <laughs> I will. You per-
1: know what? Uh, and yes, I persisted in my bad
0: comedy. So,
1: thank you. Thank you. This is what sleep deprivation gets you, everybody. All <laughs> right. right. You turn into Mario. Don't
0: don't be like me, please.
1: Um, But
0: Don't be so yawning.
1: I would like to say that I almost always get my eight to ten hours of sleep. I love sleeping. I Mm -hmm. prioritize sleep. If it's too late and I haven't done my homework, I don't care. I'm going to bed. And I'll figure it out tomorrow. Like, (laughs) when it's bedtime, it's bedtime.
0: You're good. You're good about sleeping, yes. Yeah. For sure.
1: I... No, no brag, no brag. Humble brag. Humble brag, humble brag. But um, it's important because lack of sleep has been linked to mental illness. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're actually physically linked together in the brain. So genes that have been shown to be important for sleep when they're changed or mutated, they're inclined those same genes are inclined to cause mental health problems. Mm. So there's an actual like physical link between Interesting. um mental health and um sleep. So if you're going to take anything from this, ch- just change your attitude, okay? Prioritize sleep. It's it's super important. I mean, not only not only does it help you, it helps your immune system, it helps you fight off disease. Um, you're more you're more perceptible to getting sick, uh the less sleep you have. Right.
0: And you're not so sleepy.
1: And, uh, God damn it. <laughs> getting past the fact that you're not sleepy. Oh, sorry.
0: Sorry, sorry, I'll get past that. It's nice
1: it's just a a consequence. You just feel good. You, know, you, you just, just feel better. You just
0: feel better. It's just better for you. You're it's, a better human.
1: It's nice to feel awake and, like, ready to go. It's nice to be nice. It's nice to... <laughs> Keep going. Sorry. There's a door over there. <laughs> That's not nice. I'll do this podcast by <laughs> myself. No, I'm just kidding. It would be terrible.
0: <laughs>
1: it would be... There would be a lot of, like, pauses yeah. for validation. <laughs> just long pauses. Be <laughs> <laughs> so like, oh, no one's laughing at my well, joke. Oh, well, no. All right, moving on. Okay. Dream interpretation. Um Egypt and in, in Egypt and Greece, dreaming was considered like um like a divine communication, like a supernatural. I don't, like well, I know. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> He's mocking me cuz I'm like waving my hands. Um intervention, you know. Um and they saw it as 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 something with with a message that can be interpreted um, by other people who ha- who who are associated with these right. divine things. So in, that's
0: like what Joseph and the Great Technicolor Dreamcoat or what, what is that show Joseph called? Joseph and
1: the Technicolor Dreamcoat. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. That's what that that story is about, right? Joseph, he like goes and interprets the dreams of the Pharaoh, and he makes them like his important I'm gonna guy be a, or something. I'm gonna be a
1: hundred percent honest when I say that I haven't seen that musical since I was a little kid. And I've never even seen it on stage. I saw the Donny Osmond ver- version nice. on the on like VHS. <laughs> yeah.
0: So well, I'm pretty sure that's what it's I about. can't
1: really even give you like an accurate. I'm just I'm just supporting musical. your your
0: position. Like yes, <laughs> fair. Egypt definitely dream interpretation. Yeah, for sure. It, it, for totally. sure,
1: for sure. Yeah. Cool cool cool, 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 No doubt, no doubt. No doubt, no doubt, no doubt,
0: no doubt. No, no. No, no.
1: Okay, if you get it, you get it. If you know, you know. Right. Um, So, yeah, in ancient Egypt, priests were considered dream interpreters. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of true today in the Catholic Church. Really? You can, like, definitely go to confession and, like, be like, you know, I had this dream. Father, what do you think it means? What do you think God's trying to tell me? And you talk it out, and then you feel better and all warm in your soul. Right. Um, In ancient Greece, dreams were seen as omens, as predictions of the future. And... um, a lot of the thing about dream interpretation is that it is a it's a big mystery and that we'll just never know and um that's why i think it's interesting what other cultures and what other people say about it mm-hmm. and how one thing could mean something for you but it could mean total something totally different for somebody else right. and that's actually why you can't really re- rely on like what your dream means like flip book and like it's totally different for for everybody. Um and so dream interpretation dates back centuries and obviously spans cultures all over the world. So in what is believed to be the first piece of literature written ever, the huh? Do you know the answer?
0: I don't think so. What is it?
1: The Epic of Gilgamesh. Oh,
0: right, right, right Gilgamesh. I was yeah, like yeah. you know
1: that. Um has numerous accounts of the prophetic power of dreams mm-hmm. um it's definitely a theme and so, that's from
0: like um like persia right uh, or from babylonia like
1: i don't know i think it's like maybe 31
0: it bc it was babylonia
1: there are not 31 3100 bc mesopotamia
0: oh mesopotamia okay it's
1: mesopotamia uh 2100 bc
0: and it was in sumerian
1: okay right um Where's my thing? Okay. So in more modern context, there's dream dictionaries. So a dream dictionary is a tool made for interpreting, um, like actual images that you see, um, in your dream. So it talks about like specific images and specific, and like, um, specific scenarios and, um, they're attached to certain interpretations, but like I said before, they're not really considered scientifically viable within the psycho the psychology community, uh, because it's just sub- it's subjective, it's interpretive.
0: Yeah, there's no way to test it, so it's not really scientific.
1: Correct. Yeah. Correct. So sometimes people have similar dreams, like being naked in public or being chased, falling off a cliff.
0: Right. There's these like kind of universal types of dreams.
1: Teeth falling out stuff like that. I've right. actually never had that dream. I've never I've, I've had that dream. I've never had that. I've had like that. the actor dream where like, oh my god, you're like in a show. All you're the not time in costume. You're not in costume and you don't know your lines and you're on next.
0: Mine It's weird. <laughs> Mine it's usually like I'm in a show, but then I'm on stage in a different show where I don't know my lines.
1: That's weird. It's
0: stra- it's strange, but it's usually that form like where I'm on stage but I don't know my lines. But everyone seems like pretty like okay with it. It's never, like, that stressful either. I don't know. What?
1: Mine's, like, backstage panic. Like, uh, what? Wait, what? What show is this? What? I don't even know, like, where my costume is. Like, am I next? What do you mean I'm next? I don't know what I'm doing. Like,
0: (laughs) (laughs) where am I? I have kind of a recurring one, actually. I forget what show it's with, but it's, like, the same every time. It's weird. What is it? I forget. You know, I know, but why do you forget your dreams? Well, I guess it's cause you're you're not making like long term memories when you're dreaming, right?
1: Um we don't really know.
0: Hmm, that's kind of another mystery, like why you for- usually forget them so quickly, yeah, or because you have many dreams throughout the night, but then you don't remember most of them anyway, right? right. It's so weird,
1: so on the opposite spectrum of dreams, nightmares uh-huh, so nightmares can be caused by many things, Uh stress just general conflict, fear, um, most commonly and most severely trauma. Those with PTSD have extreme nightmares. Um, It's paired with emotional problems. It can also be a side effect of uh, medication or just general drug use, uh, drug abuse as well. Um, You can have nightmare disorders. Uh, It can be linked with other illnesses and stuff like that. It's experienced during uh, the REM phase, rapid eye movement, the deepest part of sleep. Mm-hmm. And so thinking about difficult issues and trying to sort them out is a theory of why we have nightmares. So um, it it goes with the, the theory that we've mentioned before, which you said you liked this theory the most of why we dream, that our body tests us out and prepares us for real-life dangerous situations. Um, And the amygdala is highly active during REM sleep, and the amygdala has a large role in handling negative emotions like fear, like stress, like aggression. And the brain works differently during REM sleep. So, like, certain parts of the brain are dormant while others are highly active. So trauma and personality type have a huge role in who has more nightmares and it's likely because unresolved conflicts don't go away it's something that will never really leave you
0: they're like a ghost you know you have unfinished business you're going to stay roaming around right right. it's like the the ghost of that trauma is still like recurring inside your brain yeah
1: so a 2014 study Published in Sleep Journal showed that blind people have four times more nightmares oh, than yeah. those with vision.
0: I remember you, you telling me. Right, that. it's That's interesting. So, weird.
1: so this confirms like an already existing hypothesis that people's nightmares are associated with emotions that they experience while they're awake. So blind people may not have any like predisposition to nightmares like over people over like sighted people, but they just happen to have more. Um, more to worry about and more negative experiences built into their everyday lives. So the study tested 11 people who were born blind, 14 who had become blind, and 25 who had still retained their sight. And then they asked them to record their dreams over a period of four weeks. And those who were born blind had the most nightmares. Mm. But on the on, on a, on a good note, on a better note, this once they like were told the results, the people who Um, were born blind were surprised. They were like, oh, I hadn't known that. I hadn't Mm. really realized that I had more nightmares than anybody else, and it didn't affect them. It wasn't something that was affecting their daily lives.
0: Right, it was just part of their normal experience. It was just something
1: that happened, yeah, Yeah. which I thought was really interesting.
0: Because I think nightmares, it's like, they're not that affecting. I mean, sometimes certain ones, but typically you get over that, nightmare like very quickly and it's forget about it. It's
1: like, very rare to have like a, like a, like a wake up and think about, oh my right. God, that was a, that was a nightmare. That reminds Did me of- like, remi- Did you just do you just remember one?
0: M- no, well, uh, a Twilight Zone episode about okay. a recurring nightmare that this guy had, it was like driving him insane, where he was on trial every night for murder, <gasps> oh, and he would get, he would go through the whole thing, the whole trial- the whole sentencing, he would sit on death row, and then at the very end of the of the dream, he would be executed <gasps> every night. And it was just, like, driving him fucking crazy, you know? Yeah. And it was, like, and the, the episode, it, it centers around, it, if I recall correctly, him going to, like, a psychiatrist. And I won't give away how it ends, uh, but it's one of the good ones. It's, well, they're all pretty good, but it's one of the really good ones.
1: Twilight Zone is on Netflix.
0: Oh, certain episodes are, yeah.
1: Oh, and it's not all of them?
0: No, it's not. It's it's that weird thing where it's like random episodes.
1: Yeah, Hulu does the same thing, and I'm over here missing out on The Good Place.
0: I'm assuming it's a consequence of various rights holders and their various, you know, whatever.
1: I don't know. When will it all change? Never. What's the, what's the, the, another mundane mystery? What's the future (laughs) of cable television and streaming services?
0: Right, right. Predictive mysteries.
1: Speaking of predictiveness, Let's talk about lucid dreaming.
0: Oh, yes. Okay. I'm excited. Okay. Have
1: you ever I I only look, I've only lucid dreamt once and it was on accident.
0: Right. We we talked about it last time. Yeah. I, I recall having done it when I was a kid, maybe more than once, but I don't not enough since I was a child.
1: So, lucid dreaming, a dream in which the dreamer is aware that they are in fact dreaming. Right. I have so, control over it. Research has shown that it's accompanied by an increased activation of parts of the brain, like I said before, that are normally suppressed when you're sleeping. So it represents um, a brain state between REM sleep and being awake, which is kind of weird. And, it's, and um, it's kind of another state of consciousness um, in, in a way. Mm-hmm. So in Eastern thought... Um, pursuing the dreamer's ability to be aware that they're dreaming is really important. Um, in both the Tibetan Buddhist practice of dream yoga and the ancient Indian Hindu practice of yoga nidra, so um, it's also uh, a common practice among early Buddhists. So lucid dreaming as as well has been is spans time mm-hmm. and and culture. In 1968, a woman named Celia Green, a British writer on psychology, analyzed the main characteristics of lucid dreams. So she concluded that lucid dreams were actually a category of experience that was actually quite distinct from ordinary dreams. Hmm. She said they were associated with rapid eye movement and that um, she was also the first to link lucid dreams to the phenomenon of false awakenings. Right. False awakenings, I didn't, I actually didn't know this, um, Mm. it's a vivid and convincing dream about awakening from sleep when in reality you're not actually awake.
0: Right, right, you get kind of caught in between. And then sometimes it's associated with the, with seeing a, um, like a shadowy figure standing like in front of you. Mm. It's like a, a psychological phenomenon that occurs with some, certain people.
1: um. Along with lucid dreaming, is night terrors, right? And sleep paralysis. Now, night terrors. Sleep paralysis
0: is more what I was just talking about. Yeah.
1: Yes, night terrors um, usually happen between children, mm-hmm. um, uh, generally between the ages of seven, seven to twelve. Sometimes younger, sometimes a little bit older. It kind of de- depends, um, but it's a it's basically extreme nightmares that uh, make you sweat, make you move um, screaming, uh, becomes much more physical. Right. Um, and sleep paralysis is when, okay. So the best way I can describe it is, is, um, knowing that you're, you're like in this, knowing that you're sleeping and wanting to get up and wake up because there's this like feeling of dread, but you can't.
0: Right. I think almost everyone has had this experience at least once. Right. Sometimes you you feel a weight on your chest, um but it's always that Im- it sense of immobility and yeah. wanting to wake up but not being able to, wanting to say something but not being able to, you know, it's it's very distressing.
1: Yeah.
0: And there are some people unfortunately who deal with it um on a recurring basis because of wow. certain psychological um, uh, you know, um factors or whatever i'm not really sure why it happens exactly but yeah Yeah. some people it's like an issue yeah
1: yeah that's what i have on dreams lucid dreaming nightmares dream interpretation sleep
0: cool that was yeah you covered a lot of topics the mystery
1: of (laughs) this whole other state of consciousness that we really don't i don't know
0: yeah yeah a lot of it is still pretty mysterious
1: it's weird that we don't know it's, one it's of just those this things, big yeah, part of our life. You'd think people would have figured it out by now. Oh, yeah. But no, nah, not really. So my sources, like I said, Russell Foster, Why Do We Sleep TED Talk, Medical Daily article written by Chris Weller, a Medical Daily article written by Lizette Borelli, Dream Interpretation Wiki page, Lucid Dream Wiki page, and Web, Web MD facts about dreaming. Key. What's next? Weird shit, shit in, in the news. news. Weird shit, shit in, in the, the news. news. Weird. That was terrible harmonization. What well, wasn't supposed to be, like, beautiful or anything. It wasn't?
0: No. That's
1: what I was trying to go on. Sorry, Miranda. Oh, my goodness.
0: So, I've got, like, a bunch of weird shit in the news, so I'm just going to do a Why don't you pick your favorite bit. one? I'm going to pick my favorite couple. So, this is the one I was going to do last time. I, I like it. So, it's a BBC News article. Um, World War One grenade... Among potatoes at Hong Kong Crisp Factory.
1: It looks like a brain.
0: It, a little bit, yeah. It's it's a very old world. It's from World War One uh, hand grenade. Apparently, it the the pin was pulled out, <gasps> but it just never went off. <gasps> so it's like been active for like a hundred oh years God. or something. It's, I it's,
1: hate that. It's dangerous,
0: right? And of course, this is you know there, there's a lot of unexploded ordnance that around the world. It's that's a it's like a big issue. Um, The other one I wanted to do um, also involves Hong Kong, uh, weirdly, uh, from CNN uh, by uh, Sarah Lazarus. Why is this high-rise city being invaded invaded by wild boars? Uh, So apparently, I didn't really realize this, but the island of Hong Kong is mostly unincorporated. And it's only like a strip along the coast that is that is this, like, super modern, you know, built-up, dense metropolis that we know as Hong Kong, right? One of the biggest cities in the yeah. world, a city-state. Um, so apparently, though, because of, you know, things like their habitat being um, built up into and things of that nature, wild boars over the past few years have been regularly wandering into the city oh. and eating from the trash and wandering through the streets oh
1: my god i didn't realize this
0: but some of these fucking boars okay these these are serious fucking boars they can be up to 440 pounds no and reach six and a half feet in length what the uh, that's what the story says will
1: kill you they are
0: dangerous but thankfully they're also pretty docile uh, probably. That
1: was in poor taste. I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> or maybe it was in good taste. We we don't know, right? Uh, anyway, so the, the, thankfully there have only been 10 recorded cases of these wild boars injuring people since 2014. But the story does note that half of those cases occurred in the last year. So it's, an, it's a growing what happened? issue.
1: That sounds like some climate change shit.
0: I don't know. It's kind of a mystery, actually, as to why it's happening exactly now.
1: Like the polar bears in Russia.
0: But um, clearly these boars do not have the same fear of humans as they once did. Like this one person Hmm. um, describes like that they, they used to just be able to like clap at them basically and yell. That doesn't work anymore. Now, instead of them running away, she's running away. Literally, she oh was like, God. yeah, clearly they're more or I'm more afraid of them than they are of me now. So and the the, uh, the power dynamics have shifted um, between the people and the boars in Hong Kong. Just to let you know, oh newsflash, the so, boars are fucking winning. That's
1: so scary.
0: So anyway. Um, Team boar! Right. Yeah, I, I for one welcome our new boar over- overlords.
1: Uh, I think it's time we have a new change of uh, oh, Jesus. Uh, most powerful species. <laughs> right, right. C- clearly, the boars I nominate, are ascendant. I nominate cats.
0: <laughs> cats are doing a good job. <laughs> they're clear headed. Or mice. Right, like well, hitchhikers. Yeah. I was gonna say yeah. They're they're, they're, they're the the uh, projections into our realm of the sup- super intelligent the world blue world whatever. makers. Right. Um, anyway, that's, uh, that's my weird shit in the news. What, what do you do for us? I just have, I just
1: have one, okay. um, and it's about a doggy. Ooh. Uh, so, a little doggy. In, in, actually a big dog. Oh, okay. A pit bull. Uh-huh. So, in New York, um, mm-hmm. in, let me see, in, in West Chester County, uh-huh. um, so a pit bull slipped out of a home, broke through the yard's fence, and ended up roaming around the neighborhood um, barking loudly, Uh just trying to get people's attention. So it led to a call to the the police, and then when they showed up, the dog's name is Sadie, um, she took off. So they ran... Uh, they, they chased her, and she led them towards the house. And once they got there, they saw that the door was open and that there was a the smell of gas. And so they evacuated everybody, and they found that there was a gas leak in the basement.
0: Oh, shit. So this
1: dog was like, oh, shit, something's wrong. What do I do? Better, t- better go tell everybody right. and save my people. So shout out to Sadie. Smart dog. Um, smart, smart dog. And they know that, like... They're confident of this because they've had her for 11 years and she's never, like, ran away like this before. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not, it's, it was very out of character, so. Right,
0: right. Clearly Sadie knew what she was
1: doing. Very, um, uh, very happy.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Some good shit in the news. Good shit in the news. Save the day. You save the day, Sadie.
1: All right. This okay. has been an episode.
0: This certainly has.
1: Team mystery. All right. Ooh, yeah. Ooh.
0: Well, ah, ooh, ooh, thank... ah. <laughs> Thank you guys eh, ooh, ooh, for listening to us. Eh, ooh, eh. Uh, listening ooh, to ooh, our, eh. our weird sounds. Eh, that
1: we make. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Thank you for listening. Follow us on all the social media, especially Twitter. Hit us up on Twitter. Uh uh-huh. um, On Instagram, Facebook. Uh, oh, I'm getting a call. You can you can call us. Can I guess if you know us, our no, number,
0: you and then we'll hang Don't up on us. you, like we just hung up on that scammer. I mean,
1: we get I get I get probably two to three robocalls a day. It's terrible. I know,
0: right? Mario text thirty. That's my Twitter. So t- tweeter. tweeter at me. And uh, at, at Murdery Thingy, I think, is our um, regular one.
1: Every time you say tweeter, um, a millennial An angel dies. An
0: Is that the same person?
1: Yes. So we're going to stop. Okay, guys, thanks for okay, listening. Okay, thanks. Bye. Bye.